Thank you for joining XR Own, which is India's first AR VR focus podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have me, Dr. Gao Yuja, who's a surgeon specializing in hepatobiliary and pancreatic surgeon and organ transplantation at the National University Health System in Singapore. Dr. Gao's interest includes health informatics, artificial intelligence, data transformation, and medical technologies. Dr. Gao is also the Vice Chairman and Director of Science, Medicine, and Technology at the Holo Medicine Association, an international association aimed at bringing together expertise from around the world to advance the science of mixed reality and its application in clinical medicine. So Dr. Gao, really appreciate you taking time and being part of our podcast. Why don't we start with a small brief introduction, background, and what inspired or what caught your attention to leverage XR technologies for healthcare? Thanks, Eddie. So um, first of all, you know, very honored to be here. And thank you so much for this invitation to speak to you and also your audience um, about XR in healthcare. So um, like you mentioned, I, I'm a practicing surgeon at the National University Hospital here in Singapore. And I specialize mainly in liver pancreas and liver transplant surgery. Um, what really got me into the XR space was actually when I was first um, introduced to the Microsoft HoloLens 2. Um, so before working you know, on XR, I, I did do projects involving artificial intelligence, mainly in big data, machine learning, you know, training algorithms for predictive analytics. Um, but there was, there was one day where um, essentially my group CTO, Professor Niam, um, he was actually invited by Microsoft to a half-day workshop. And this was, I think, in November, December 2019. And, um, you know, essentially that was when the HoloLens 2 was first launched. So he had an invitation to go down to Microsoft to have a look at this new device and see whether or not, you know, there is a potential application um, for mixed reality technology specifically in healthcare. So, um, I mean, he and I, we were just chatting along the corridor on a different project. And he sort of asked me, you know, hey, are you free um, that afternoon? And I looked at my calendar. I had no clinical commitments that day. And I said, yeah, sure. Um, why don't we, we you know, I, I, I'll be happy to join at the workshop and have a look at the, the device and, and see what's what. So that's kind of how it started. And um, so we had that half day workshop at the Microsoft Experience Center here in Singapore. And, you know, during the workshop, we sort of had a go at the device, played around with it, um, had sat down for discussions with, you know, the engineers, the developers, and also a few other clinicians to see whether, number one, um, this generation of devices is, you know, suitable for use in the medical arena. And number two, whether or not, you know, there is actually going to be use cases for this technology. Yeah, so we, we get a lot of, you know, um, new technology like devices, software application that gets introduced to healthcare. And a lot of times, um, unfortunately, you know, they get stuck in the pilot or proof of concept phase and they never really move on to the implementation um, phase because, Either the technology is not suitable for healthcare, or sometimes healthcare is not suitable for that technology. Right. So what what we didn't want to do was to essentially have this as like a a, a passing technology or a 
passing fat. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, or wanted to, to find out at least whether this is something that is sustainable and whether something that we can, you know, adopt or do in the long term. So after that half-day workshop, um, we, we sort of felt that this is a, a technology at this stage that has some true potentials in healthcare, um, comparing to the previous generation devices like the HoloLens One, um, you know, this 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 new generation of devices has a lot of additional capabilities that we felt was uh, enough for us to start trialing in the healthcare sector. So that's kind of when we decided to do a um, short pilot or proof of concept to see whether you know the reception on the ground with the clinicians with the end users is the same as what we felt during the workshop or you know we were just getting you know a, a little bit ahead of ourselves so um things got a little bit delayed because of covid you know we, we had to put things on hold because you know everyone was on the ground trying to you know contain um, covid and the damage that it's causing so by the time we actually started our pilot it was in August, um, late August, early September 2020. And for six months, what we did was that we, we acquired three devices um, of the HoloLens 2 from Microsoft together with the clinical software application. Um, it's, it's called VSI by this German company called Epiclar. And what we did was that we went to the various um, clinical departments within the hospital essentially arrange for you know one hour two hour sessions with the doctors nurses um, residents on the ground and we showed them this device and we let them play around with it and essentially at the end of the session we asked them do you think this is useful do you see an actual use or an actual application for this technology um, in their areas of practice and whether or, or do they feel that this is just you know a toy that's going to be around for a while and then we're probably going to stop using it after a couple of months so at the end of six months um we we got a unanimous positive feedback from all the departments that we have engaged um this we are talking about you know up to 30 to 40 specialists uh, clinicians nurses whom we have spoken to and they all felt that you know there is a real potential for this technology and its application in healthcare. So that's when in January 2021, um, our hospital system decided to um, sort of start this strategic program, which we call the Hollow Medicine Program, which looks at the adoption, implementation, as well as the research and development into the use of XR technology in um, clinical applications. Right. And, and what we wanted to do was to not mm -hmm. just use it for training and, and education, but for actual use on the ground in the operating theater, in the clinics, in the wards, um, you know, actually you know, using it to treat patients and not just for training. So right. that's kind of how we started. Yeah. So doctor, really appreciate you. I mean, you know, explaining the entire journey, you know, starting from September, August, 2020, and then finally finding true potential i mean you know with, with uh mixed reality use cases in healthcare you know both in training as well as treatment because i guess you know a lot of these hospitals the healthcare industry kind of uh tinkers around with new technology because technology is becoming such a game changer not just in healthcare but across uh across all industries but you know most of the time like you rightfully pointed out it just stays in the pilot phase or the poc phase and doesn't go, mm -hmm. go into real imp implementation so you mentioned that you know mr uh, especially the hololens uh, glasses it's it's showing true potential in healthcare 
you also mentioned training and treatment. Can you elaborate mm. on that? I mean, training and treatment, how is it mm. being leveraged? And why just mm. HoloLens, you know, because there's other mixed reality glasses also out there. What was right. it about HoloLens that uh, differentiates between the other uh, MR devices available? Right, right. So, um, I mean, just just a, a caveat and disclaimer, I am in no way trying to promote or sell HoloLens to, I have no affiliations with Microsoft or any companies out there. Um, but the reason why we went with the HoloLens 2 was because it fit our needs requirements uh, when we did essentially the evaluation for the different devices out there. So when we first started the program, uh, we looked at quite a lot of different devices from a few companies. So Microsoft is one of them. Um, we looked at Magic Leap, we looked at Sony, we looked at Epson, um, we looked at, at um, Lenovo. Um, and essentially what, what we wanted was a device that would number one, first of all, not compromise the safety of the patient, right? Because if we are going to use this in the clinical context, meaning that on the ground as we treat patients, before we even go and think about the benefits of the, of techno of this technology, we have to make sure that whatever we do, we're not going to compromise the safety of the patient. So that's that's number one, right? And the reason why we chose um, mixed reality over virtual reality is essentially because um, mainly because of this. Right. So for virtual reality devices, or even those like nowadays with the pass through, like the MetaQuest or even the new Apple Vision Pro that's coming out, um, the, the biggest downside that we see, at least for myself, and when it comes to using it to treat patients, is that you are still seeing essentially a video that's projected on a screen, right? So to us, number one is that no matter how good the camera is, it is not going to have the resolution of the human eye, right? The human eye, you know, the, the resolution and the, the the details that we pick up is a lot more, um, many, many times more than essentially the best camera out there on a head-mounted device, right? So number one, if we use a VR device, we're going to compromise on the image resolution, especially of the surrounding and the patients that we see, irrespective of the virtual objects that's projected on it. Right, so that's number one. Number two, um, what we felt was that we needed a fail safe, meaning that if let's say something goes wrong with the device while we're using it, it should not compromise again patient safety on the ground. Right? And essentially to us, one again, the, the, the problem with virtual reality devices is that because it's a screen, if let's say something goes wrong, uh, either you have images that are out of focus, not in not in, in the correct synchronization, or worst case scenario, you get a blank screen, right? And if let's say you're in the middle of a procedure, right, either mid the middle of a surgery or in the process of you know inserting the IV cannula into the patient, um, we can't afford to have a blank screen or complete blackout in front of us. Right. And sometimes, you know, some people may say, oh, you just take out the device, but it's not as simple as that. If your hands are occupied, you know, you can't just let go of everything that you're doing and take out the device, right? So with mixed reality devices, like for example, the Hollands 2 or, you know, the Magic Leap devices, even if let's say the device stops working um, halfway, 
Right. Because the visors are transparent, you do not lose your vision of everything else that's around you. Right. You will lose the information that you get from the virtual objects that's being projected, but you will not ever, ever lose sight of what you're doing. Right. So that's one of the biggest considerations that we have as well. And the next thing is essentially situation awareness. Right. So going beyond just seeing what is in front of you, um, when we're doing procedures, especially doing operations and, and everything, we use actually a lot of our peripheral vision to keep track of things that's going on around us, right? So the reason why we, we like the HoloLens too was because of the, the way it's constructed. It has a very opened um, visor at the front where essentially you have no blockage of your peripheral visions on the side. There are other mixed reality devices out there that has better resolution and better you know, brightness, color contrast when it comes to the display compared to the HoloLens too. Um, but you know, after trying out those devices, we felt that one of the limitations was that you do lose the peripheral vision because of the way the visors are constructed. Um, so mainly because of these factors, um, you know, we decided to go with the HoloLens 2 because if you look at the hardware per se, right, in terms of the compute power, the battery life, the 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 um, image resolution, um, the brightness of the display and everything out there, HoloLens 2 is not, um, I would say, the leader in terms of technical specifications. Right? It's heavier than a lot of the devices. It doesn't have, you know, the best display out there. But to us, taking everything into perspective, it essentially is the most suitable device for our needs at that point in time. And even now, you know, it, it kind of still fits the bill. Yeah, so, and, and because when we started the program, um, our main focus was on clinical use cases, meaning that actual use cases on the ground and um, you know, not so much our putting a main focus on training and education, right? Which is why we chose this advice. Because if let's say we're 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 just developing something purely for training and education, then virtual reality or some of the other devices might make more sense, right? Because you just need a computer-generated environment. You can create your various scenarios and everything. And technically, you don't really need that exposure to the outside. Right. And, and, you know, you don't have to worry about patient safety and all those kind of things. So if, if it's only for training and education, then, of course, you know, a lot of the other devices out there are more suitable or more capable than HoloLens 2. Yeah. But for us, because of our considerations and um, the, the use cases that we intend to use this technology on. So that sort of led us towards um, favoring the HoloLens 2 over the other devices um, at the point. Right, right. So, so Dr. Really appreciate you again. Uh, I mean, sharing the insights. I'm sure this is going to be like great help for those uh, budding uh, healthcare professionals who want to leverage uh, uh, mixed reality and or, or virtual reality and they want to make this choice. I think this would be like a really eye-opener for them. Though, like like you mentioned, I mean, you know, VR, it, it, it's isolating experience, but there are like these headset companies such as Wario, VR Genius, mm -hmm. and, and then Pimax, which has got 8K, 10K, uh, yeah. uh, you know, resolution um, uh, HMDs. But yes, it's, it's an isolating experience and and hololens i think does stand out you know in in that specific 
areas which you mentioned about mm. now you, you mentioned about uh, uh, you using it for training but not so much a training but in actual treatment therapy could could you kind of you know talk about uh, or give some examples of how you have leveraged uh, hololens in, in treatment mm. right so um one of the the earliest or um, what what I would, what we would consider lowest hanging fruits in using this technology is in surgical planning um reason because during in 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 surgery and in planning for surgery we rely a lot on um three dimensional perception of the patient as well as the patient's scan right so before technology like this was available whenever we we look at the, at the for example ct scans mri scans on the patient um it's always on a computer screen where you have to use your mouse or keyboard to scroll up and down on the different cuts of the different slices and we sort of have to perform mental gymnastics to convert those 2D images into a mental 3D picture and be able to process that that you know mental 3D image that we created right so it takes a lot of time um to be able to convert that 2D image into a 3D mental picture and of course the more complex the organ is the more difficult it is for us to sort of understand what we're looking at and usually it takes a few years for a surgeon to be fully competent you know to to interpret a ct scan or mri scan very well so what this technology enabled us to do was to essentially convert all those scans directly into a 3d hologram so instead of having to do all that processing in our brain it allowed us to essentially you know within 5 10 minutes convert a sequence of 2D images into a 3D hologram and in front of our eyes we can essentially look at the patient's anatomy in 3D like as though we're looking at the patients themselves because the scans are from the patients right and what 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 we like is that it helped to lower the learning curve a lot and we found that you know junior doctors junior trainees and even junior attendings and consultants are able to appreciate and understand the patient's anatomy a lot faster and in a lot more detail than if they were to just look at the screen on a two dimensional um you know uh, monitor and it scans on a 2d monitor so that was how we first started to use this in patient treatment just by simply being able to plan and to look at the patient's anatomy as a 3d visual um in front of you and not trying to imagine it in our heads um the next step that we went to was essentially to bring this technology into the operating theater and be able to see the scans while we are operating right so you know we we've tried this for different specialties including neurosurgery liver transplant surgery you know um facial reconstructions plastics the thyroid many right and what we do is actually that um so the surgeons will actually wear the hololens to during the surgery itself and you know because everything is gesture control we can actually you know manipulate the, the images while we're operating without having the risk of breaking sterility because you know we're not holding on to any external controllers or anything and because the visors are transparent it doesn't actually obstruct our view of the operating field and what we do is that sometimes uh we actually superimpose this image or the scan or the 3D hologram onto the patient and essentially because the holograms are a one to one scale of the patient 
and it's acquired from the patient themselves, we can essentially see exactly where, for example, tumors are, where the blood vessels are. And, you know, it, 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 it gives you an x-ray vision um, of the patient itself. You can literally see through the patient and know exactly where all the different structures are. So we, we've used this for a lot of our surgeries to locate, for example, small tumors um, or important blood vessels so that we know where they are, um, where to take them out, where to, where to avoid certain critical structures. And in cases where we are not superimposing the scan onto the patient, um, we actually put the scans in front of us as like a image reference. Because sometimes, you know, during the surgery itself, especially for the very complex ones, um, from time to time, we do need to refer back to the scans again to reorientate ourselves, to make sure that we are on the correct, you know, operating plane. Um, we have, you know, the, the correct location of the tumors or blood vessels. And before XR technology, we would have to essentially go back to the computer, um, you know, and then we have to remove our gloves or we have to have additional protection layer over ourselves to try and scroll the mouse. And there's always a risk of breaking sterility and, you know, um, dirtying ourselves in that process, right? And again, you know, scrolling up and down on a computer screen, not the best and the most intuitive way to, to, to look through the scans. So having that 3D display of all the relevant images in front of us um, just negates the need for us to remove our gown and gloves and go back to the computer screen and essentially having all those information literally at your fingertips. Right? And because we are able to customize the images that we see, we can do segmentations. We can isolate certain parts of the scan um, to show us, for example, you know, the relationship between a tumor and an important blood vessels. And one of some of sometimes what we do is that during the planning phase, we actually put annotations um, and drawings and, 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 and you know, notes to ourselves in the three-dimensional world, and we save it on a HoloLens. And during the surgery itself, we bring up our own notes. So we know that you know, this is something that I have to remember. This is something I need to remind myself as I'm doing the surgery. And it, it just essentially becomes um, what, what we call a co-pilot. Right. It essentially, you know, this device and this technology is our co-pilot during the surgery and is there to help us to make sure that we do things better for our patients. Lovely. How cool is that? I mean, the future of healthcare looks <laughs> super, super interesting. Through these experiences of, you know, building real world application in the healthcare systems, is there any advice or insights that you would suggest the Microsoft or other uh, companies which are making AR, VR, MR glasses? And, and how do you how do you see uh, mixed reality evolving? You know, in in the healthcare ecosystem, because you pointed out rightfully that these are bulky at this point in time, and it, it still yeah. is, doesn't have these uh, human eye. Uh, you know that that uh, resolution that uh, we humans have. Mm. Are there insights? that you would, would want to share so that it, they can improve to better serve, create uh, better glasses for healthcare? Right, right. So I, I think that, it, that that is a tricky question to answer um, because there are so many factors that we have to consider, right? I mean, in an ideal world, um, of course, my wish would be that these companies can create um, healthcare-specific devices, right? Because, I mean, even when we first started to use the HoloLens 2, 
Um, the HoloLens 2, you know, it, it was never meant to be used, you know, for example, in the operating theater to guide our, our, our surgeries and everything. So, you know, the, the sensors and the hardware and all, this, all those things, um, a lot of these devices do not have sensors or cameras that are good enough for us to reach a level of accuracy um, that is required in healthcare, right? So for example, you know, um, when we talk about, you know, superimposing the image on the patient, or when we talk about image registration and the accuracy of the images, in healthcare, we are looking at, you know, deviations of plus minus two to three millimeters as our tolerance level. Right, so that is kind of like the industry standard for most of the Im the the you know, imaging navigation devices from big companies out there that we use to locate tumors inside the patient during the operation. Uh, but you know, for example, the HoloLens two that we use, the cameras and the sensors uh, are just not able to give us that kind of resolution that we need because it was never meant for healthcare. Right, so of course, in an ideal world, um, what I would like to have, and, and what many of my colleagues would like to have are essentially dedicated devices that are meant for healthcare, meaning that you have very high resolution cameras, you have a high resolution and very bright display, um, you know, and of course, that there has to be um, that the ability for us to further develop on the devices itself, right? But, you know, it's it's not that easy for companies out there that, that this is going to say okay I'm going to make a a Hololens for healthcare right because they have to consider the market requirements they have to consider R and D and everything but I think what um what what I've learned over the last you know two three years working with technology like this is that healthcare the the clinicians and the medical teams on the ground needs to be a part of the R&D team together with all these companies so that the next generation devices that do come out has a direct input from the healthcare sector to, to essentially have the technical specifications, either hardware or software, in order for us to use it in healthcare. All right. So for example, um, we, we, we actually work quite closely with uh, Microsoft, you know, when it comes to providing feedback and everything. And one of the things that we did tell them was that, you know, we we hope that the next generation of devices is going to have cameras that we can adjust, you know, the infrared cameras, we can adjust for the wavelength, we can, you know, change, we can tune the amount of, of um, area that it shines on and everything so that we can essentially build upon the the foundation that these companies have provided us with and create applications that are specific to healthcare, right? Because we can't really rely on this non-essentially traditional med tech companies to develop applications and use cases specific for us because they have to consider other industries as well, right? But what we hope to have is to have a device that is flexible enough for us to carry on doing that work so that our engineers in the healthcare sector, our data scientists, our developers in the healthcare sector can take those devices out there in the market and then, you know, adjust them, play with them, tweak with them, you know, do further development to so that we, we essentially guide it towards the requirements that we need, right? And, and I think that, that also comes down to essentially um, 
not every healthcare institute or, or not every hospital is looking at, you know, research and development, right? So I have the benefit of working in a tertiary hospital with, you know, direct links to the university, the, to, to, the, to the school of computing, the school of engineering. And that essentially is the reason why we can do a lot of our own research and development into, for example, building new applications and trying to squeeze everything that we can out of the devices itself. Right? But we have to think that not every hospital has the capability um, that we have you know, in terms of funding, in terms of the resources, in terms of the manpower, as well as the technical know-how to do their own R&D. Right? There will be a lot of hospitals out there that are essentially just looking for solutions that they can adopt and they can use to implement in their healthcare system. Right? So, you know, when it comes to, to technology, I, I see that there is a spectrum of, you know, um, users who just want to buy something and use it on the ground straight away, um, all the way to users who want to actively be involved in research and development. Right. And I think in terms of the, co the collaboration with the industry and everything, um, industry side essentially needs to know right, where along this spectrum the people they are working with stands. Right? Because if, let's say, they're going to pitch a finalized product to an institute that wants to be involved in R&D and wants to essentially push the boundaries, they're not going to get a lot of traction. Right, because I'm going to say I'm not interested in, in just a finalized product. I want to have the ability to modify that product and to make things better and to and to essentially create um, use cases and applications that we want to. Right? But then if they use that same tactic or, or that, that same strategy to hospital to just want to buy and essentially take a, a you know, ready to, to, uh, to go pro product and just use it, Right, then you know they have to change their strategy as well. Yeah, so I, I think it really depends on um who they're interacting with, what is the mandate of the hospital and the institution that they're working with, what are their capabilities. And um yeah, and, and I think that's where there has to be a very close collaboration um and and you know teamwork between the healthcare industry as well as the, the technology industry. Right, right. Completely fair enough. A any advice that you would like to share to aspiring medical professionals, hospitals mm -hmm. on how they should go about if they want to leverage these tools for healthcare? Right. So I, I think um, what, what I would say is that don't be afraid to try and don't be afraid to give technology a chance. Right. Because, I mean, for us, when we first started this um, program, um, we had no reference, right? Because no one else has used it before. We, you know, there's no literature on this. There's no evidence on this. Um, there isn't anything out there to say that um, there's going to be benefits in, in adopting this technology. Right? But to us, what we did was that we saw the potential. Um, we said that let's give it a try. We knew very well that it might be a complete failure. You know, it, it, we could have spent, you know, one, two years going into it and essentially at the end of the day, no one uses it. And, you know, it, it could have gone very much the other way as well. All right. So I, I think being having that open mind 
and having that mindset to be, to want to try new things, to keep thinking about, you know, how do I improve the way I do things now? Um, I think that is essentially the, 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 you know, first step and the first important question when it comes to integrating healthcare and technology. And because if that's it, we don't think about it, you know, and, and we don't want to try it. It's, it's never going to come in. Right, right. Yeah. And, and the world is moving so fast and technology, yes. I think, is playing such a huge role. You know, it's seeping into each and every aspects of, of life. And I think all mm. industries, whether it's healthcare, any other industries, needs to look into it and start understanding and tinkering it around with it because it is becoming the future. Uh, any peers you, you know who are taking the right approach of leveraging mixed reality technologies for mm. healthcare if you that that would be great if you could talk mm. about that and, and what are the other emerging technologies you see or trends that you believe will play a significant role in shaping the future of healthcare right right so i i think um right now there are many um hospitals and healthcare institutes around the world that's using xr technology uh, i mean when we first started it was only a handful but i think over the last 2 to 3 years um, as you know, the XR technology becomes more and more prominent in healthcare. Um, as you know, there are more success cases out there of people trying it and getting it to work. Um, right now, I think you know the 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 there are essentially hospitals in every continent in the world that's using XR technology. Some of them are using it in a small scale, um, just trying out first and see how it goes. Um, some of the other hospitals are essentially you know creating full-scale programs like what we have in NUHS um, in adopting this technology. Yeah, so I, I think the, the acceptance of XR technology in healthcare beyond training and education is definitely gaining more and more traction over the last uh, couple of years. And you know, as, as the technology matures, I'm pretty sure this is something that's going to be here to stay. Right. I mean, if, and you know, to on to your second question, what are the other things that are coming up? Um, there's there's many. There there are so many things out there that we can potentially look at. That uh, I don't think I I can or I'm able to to mention all of it. Uh, but some of the things that we are working on now in my hospital is essentially building up that integrated network infrastructure. Um, that we feel is necessary in order for us to carry on doing what we do. Right? Because you know, when, when we look at AI in healthcare, we, we see a lot of um, talk and we see a lot of coverage on, for example, XR technology, uh, machine learning, you know, large language modeling, predictive analytics, image analysis and stuff like that. Right? But to, 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 to us, what we see it is that these are essentially front-end applications. Right. These are things on the ground that gives you the information that you need, that you're using it in, in, in the front lines in a way. Um, but what we came to realize was that in order for us to make sure that all these front end applications work smoothly, we need a very robust back end infrastructure. Right? Because without that robust infrastructure, you know, it, it doesn't matter how good the front end is you're never actually going to be able to scale it. We're, not, we're never going to be, to be able to bring it to production level. Right? So in parallel with all this um, front-end applications that we're doing here in NHS, um, we actually spend a lot of time developing our backend infrastructure, which is our AI network. So right now in our hospital, we have um, 
I would say one of the more comprehensive AI networks that's out there. And essentially we have our own on-premise AI servers. One is for research. Um, the other server essentially has a real-time communication with our electronic medical record systems. Uh, we use Epic here in, in NEHS. And you know, the, the research server allows us to do a lot of our you know large data modeling, machine learning uh, modeling large-scale data analysis and building all those algorithms that we need for the front-end systems. And the the second layer, second AI system called Endeavor AI, is where we have this algorithms that we have trained to interact with real patients' data in real time. Right? And essentially, this allows us to integrate data coming from multiple sources into a single area to make sense of all the billions of, of you know, data points that's coming in every day from around the different hospitals within our hospital cluster system, right? And um, the, the next thing that essentially we went into was uh, 5G because right now, you know, mo a lot of our medical devices are going wireless, right? Be it the HoloLens 2, be it, you know, patient monitors or even those wearable sensors that patients have, right? So... <clears throat> In, in the future, we're, we're going to have a lot of data that's going to be coming in from wireless devices, right? So uh, one of the biggest problems that I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know as well when it comes to wireless connectivity is the bandwidth and the speed of the, the connection. Right? So um, in my hospital, we used to have, I mean, we have Wi-Fi 5. Um, um, and um, I mean, on a good day, you know, you can, we can get, reasonable data transmission speeds. But if let's say, you know, we are to, to have a very high bandwidth, low latency network, um, which is essential for all these front applications to work, because let's say, for example, the HoloLens 2, right? We are collecting a lot of real-time images and real-time data from the cameras on the HoloLens 2 and processing them in real time. And then, you know, giving an output to the clinician that's using it. Right. So we need a very good wireless connection, a secured wireless connection, as well as a very good compute, either the cloud compute or edge computers, in order for us to do all this, you know, um, high requirement processings in real time. Right? Because if let's say there's a lag, there's a latency, then you know you can't really use it on the ground. Right? So 5G technology essentially to us is that the bridge of the gap between the front end devices and our back end infrasystem and enabling us to have a very secure high speed network. Um, you know, we've done speed tests on the ground comparing Wi-Fi, 4G and 5G, and we are getting transmission speeds of, you know, um, up to 10 times more on the, on the 5G network. Right. And, and so that's kind of the reason why in NEHS um, we have sort of deployed our own indoor 5G network, an enterprise 5G network, and we have our own dedicated radio dots uh, and radio antennas in the operating theaters, um, primarily to support all this wireless data transmission that's gonna, we know is gonna come. And we're just essentially trying to lay the groundwork uh, and lay the infrastructure for, you know, hopefully the next few years, yeah. Wow, how cool is that? I mean, you guys are, <laughs> Uh, fundamentally building the foundational model of what the future of healthcare is going to look like with all of these tech stack converging, you know, right from XR to 5G to AI. I think when when all of these converges, you know, you will have 
uh, with all the data that we collected i think we will be able to completely upend how the healthcare mm. is is being done kudos to you and your team Thank dr you. really really appreciate you <laughs> taking time and being part of the podcast my last question to you would you be able to paint a picture of what the world is going to look like in the next 10 years when all of these things that you mentioned <laughs> you know how how's the healthcare going to look like right i i i mean what i would like to see is um essentially the, the the integration of the different silos in healthcare into an ecosystem right where the moment the patient enters a clinic or the patient enters a hospital um you know their information their data is already integrated into the the, the, the entire hospital system right and you know you won't end up having problems where you have difficulty getting data from one place to another or you have difficulty you know getting information on the patient right um i mean i'm not sure where you know in in 10 years time are we going to see everyone walking around with a ar or xr device you know pressing in in the mid air when it comes to you know uh, their their user interface and everything it, it, it might be right we are already moving um towards that stage but i think what's most important to me is that regardless of what the front end systems that we use um you know be xr or just laptops traditional computers and everything what i would hope to see or what i think should happen in the next 10 years is really the creation of that ecosystem and the integrated data network to allow this ecosystem to exist and you know no longer having things in healthcare being siloed and you know systems not talking to each other i i think that's that's kind of what 10 years from now Yeah, I I I would want to or hope to see. Lovely. How cool is that? Because I guess the problem with the world today is a centralized functioning. Everything is so siloed. Yes. Eventually, hopefully, we get into a world which is more de- decentralized, and mm. and the data starts having meaning, and it, there's an ecosystem where you are not you 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 know what you want, and you get it at the tip of your this thing. So I. I I hope the vision comes true. Really, really appreciate you taking time and being part of the podcast. And to my listeners, if you like what you see in here, then please press the subscribe button. Until next time, see you guys. Thank you, Doctor. Really appreciate it. Locate. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you.